Hey, uh, hey, welcome to Flatirons. All of our campuses are together. Can we greet our brothers down at Lyman Prison? Just, just wish them a happy Thanksgiving. I don't ever want to forget about them down there. Um, hey, uh, so I'm getting in the Christmas spirit. How many of you already got your Christmas decorations up? Uh, already got them up? All right, that's my day today. Um, then followed by uh, an attorney's visit uh, for my wife and I, I'm sure, counseling. Um, I'm really proud of myself because usually I put up my outdoor lights the day after Thanksgiving, but it was a blizzard. And so I, I, I did the right thing. I got them up in uh, October. I put them up in October and uh, we've turned them on this week. But I'm really excited. Hey, let me talk about Christmas presents real quick. Hey, if you have your Bible with you, okay, um, there's three places we're gonna spend most of our time today. Uh, if they'll put those up there. We're gonna be in Genesis chapter 11 and then Deuteronomy. 32, and then Romans 1. Just leave us up there a second. Uh, or a Bible app. And it's really, really important you, you have a Bible. Um, there, there was a time when Flatirons was like, we don't bring Bibles. But now that's over, okay? We bring Bibles or Bible apps or whatever that is. But let me just tell you this. If you're looking for a Christmas presents, um, you buy somebody in your life a Bible, this is not something that I didn't think about that, but I, I, this is an ESV study Bible. I bought it on Amazon. It'd be a great, like, well, not a stocking stuffer because it'll collapse your stocking. But anyway, but, but, but that's a great idea. Start bringing your Bible, bring a pencil with you because we're going to un underline a bunch of stuff. We're going to be in Genesis 11 and then Deuteronomy 32. That's like, that's like 200 pages into the Bible. I know a lot of you spent your time in Deuteronomy this week fascinating book. Actually, it really is. And then we're going to be over in the New Testament, Romans 1. So as you're looking for that, let me just jump into this. Next week, we're going to launch into our, our Christmas series, and that's going to go all the way up uh, to Sunday, Christmas Eve. But before that today, I want to wrap up a study that we started back in August through the first 11 chapters of, of the Bible. The first 11 chapters of the Bible set up the rest of the Bible. And that's where we're gonna kind of land today. Specifically, I wanna look at the third rebellion, all right, which helps answer this question, why is the world so screwed up? Anybody watch the news this week? Right? Why is the world so corrupt? Why is it so broken? Why is there evil? Why is there sickness? Why are people bombing one another? Why is there violence in the world? And the simple answer to all those questions, if you have to leave early, is this. Because man, right, at least I, have taken God's free gift of free will and I misused it and abused it. God gave me free choices and I've, I've misused them on you, on some other people, and even on, on, on myself. See, when, when God created mankind in his image, he didn't create us as robots or puppets, but he gave us free will and, and the free will to choose him and follow him or also the free will to reject him or disobey him, all right? He, he doesn't coerce us into obeying him. He doesn't make us you know, do the right thing. We have a choice. It happened in this review, in rebellion number one, Genesis chapter three, in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve decided to use their free will to reject God's instructions, and they chose to eat that forbidden fruit. Even though God said it would lead to death and separation from him, they looked back at God and they go, I don't believe you. I don't think it'll hurt me. They saw something that looked good to them. They wanted what they thought it could do for them, how it would make them feel. Then they made a choice. They consumed it. And immediately, the description of their life changed. They were naked and unashamed. It was replaced by insecurity, hiding, blaming, pain, and chaos. That happened thousands of years ago. It's happened to a lot of us in this room, right? Our life was going great, and then we made a choice. And now it's a different life. But in that same conversation with God, God promises that in the future, he would send someone to fix the, the problem of death and separation from God, which we now know is Jesus. He does that through his death and resurrection from, from, from the dead, right? To, to, to the person who puts their trust in Jesus. We're gonna hit this a lot today. Sin is forgiven and death is defeated and replaced with eternal life with God. You could have that today. 
We saw the same rejection of God in Genesis chapter six with rebellion number two, when the, the sons of God, part of God's divine counsel, they come down and they have children with the daughters of men and, and a relationship with God is replaced with sexual immorality and drugs and astrology and idolatry and violence. Man's hearts, this is what, what Moses writes, man's hearts and minds were fixed continually on evil. And so God decides to destroy everything with the flood and he punishes the demonic forces that led mankind astray. We studied all that. And then he saved Noah and his family so his human plan of redemption that he promised Eve would happen through her seed could continue. And then two weeks ago, we saw Peter, one of Jesus' first followers, thousands of years later, tie all of that together. Creation and the fall and Noah and the sons of God and all that. He tied that together as a type or a picture of baptism that now saves us. Hear me, water doesn't save us. Getting dunked in water does not save us, right? But it's an outward expression of a decision by faith, remember this, to swear our allegiance to Jesus and to renounce anything that we have allied ourselves with that's contrary to what Jesus says is right and good. And two weeks ago, across all of our campuses, over 800 of us made that decision, I'm gonna follow Jesus and leave stuff behind. Give it up for those people right now. So good. And so let me tell you what happens, okay? We also saw that the way that Jesus will transform our hearts and our minds that it historically have been fixed on evil is through the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in every Christian, every believer, and the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. The Old Testament was, here's a bunch of rules. Maybe if you follow them on the outside, it'll change your inside. It doesn't work. The Holy Spirit will move inside of us and change us from the inside out. So where we left off a couple weeks ago was God giving the same command to Noah and his family that he had given Adam and Eve back in chapter two and three. Be fruitful and multiply and spread out and take Eden, take, take paradise, take my kingdom, take life with me to the whole world. Now, we don't have time for this right now because we're gonna pick up in Genesis 11, but Genesis chapter 10 is a list of all the descendants of Noah and his sons. Uh, theologians call that the, the table of nations and it accounts for the 70 different nations or empires that are spread across the known earth for the rest of the Bible. But they didn't start spread out, which is explained why in Genesis 11, how and why all the people got dispersed out. So just like the Garden of Eden story and the story of Noah and the flood and the ark and the animals are super familiar to us and we, we kind of turned them into bedtime stories or, or Sunday school stories for our kids, the, the story of the Tower of Babel that we're gonna look at today has become kind of a similar kind of story. So it's like, it's a, it's like a kid's story and that's because most of us only know half the story. But there's another story kind of hidden in there which explains so much of the chaos in our world, including, state of the end, what's happening in Israel right now. It is tied to what we're gonna be studying today. God says, be fruitful and multiply and spread out. And man looks back at God and stomps his foot and goes, no, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. Genesis chapter 11. We're gonna read a whole bunch of verses today. Now the whole world had one language and the same words and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly. And they, they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Bitumen's like tar, okay? And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and us, and this is the underlying part, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed, like spread over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down. Let us, it's the same as back in chapter two, let us make God in our, or make man in our image, okay? He's talking to his divine counsel. So he, he talks to them, but God is the only one who acts here, okay? Let us go down and there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another. So the Lord, not the counsel, the Lord spread them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because that's where the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed, spread them over the face of all the earth. Now, most of us, all right, maybe you've only been to church a couple times, or right? maybe when you were a kid, catechism or confirmation or whatever, right? You've heard some version of that story. And this is what I always thought reading, up, reading that story as a kid. What's the big deal? I mean, they want to build a city. I'd like to build a city. I'd like to build a really tall tower. That would be really, really, what's wrong with that? Well, a lot. Plenty, if you understand the context of what they're actually trying to do. Three things. First of all, first, God said spread out. Spread out, okay? And the people's response was, no, we don't want to spread out. We don't want to be dispersed across the earth. We want to stay right here. So just like rebellion number one and two, God, we hear your plan. Thanks. No, I have a better plan for my life. What's the plan? I'm staying here. How many times has God told you to move and you went, I'm not moving. I'm staying right here. Second mistake. They said, let us make a name for who? ourselves, okay? This is the same that lies back in Eden when Satan says, you don't need God in order to be great. You can be God. You don't need to trust in the name of the Lord. Trust in your own name. You can have a great life without God. You don't need him. Third mistake, let's build a tower that reaches to the heavens. That's a metaphor. They're not, it's not jolly green giant beanstalk goes up to the clouds. It's, it's a metaphor. See, what they're building is a garden temple complex, which includes an ancient building or structure called a ziggurat. If you studied any type of architecture, a ziggurat, a man-made mountain. They're building a man-made mountain. Why would they want to build a man-made mountain in a garden? Back to this first series. Because gods live in gardens and on mountains. That's what Eden was. I was in Mexico last week. It was much warmer, by the way, right? And I saw these Mayan temples, right? That's a ziggurat. Right? They, they, they built them in Mexico. Probably the most famous ziggurats are the Egyptian pyramids, right? But the ancients build these things as a place to locate God. We're going to bring God to us. In, in other words, let's build a tower, a mountain. Let's make a name for ourselves. And then God can meet with us on our terms and he will do what we tell him to do. And God will have nothing to do with it. And the story ends with God confusing their language and spreading them across the earth. And that's how we get all the different nations, the end. But that's not the end. That's only half the story. So let me just give you a, a Bible study, like file this away. The Bible isn't written like most of our books. It's not all written or presented in sequential order. This happened and this happened and this happened. It's more like a mosaic with pieces scattered all, all through the, the pages of the Bible. Unless you're reading it with that in mind, you're gonna miss the bigger story of what's going on. I'm, I'm gonna show you this. Now I'm gonna be really honest with you. This, this is, for some of you, you're gonna go, we're not going back to that church. He's, he's lost his mind, all right? Some of you think that, but you keep coming back. Thank you, all right? But, but you're gonna think, here's what you're gonna sit here in the next 20 minutes or so, and here's what you go, I never thought of God like that. I, I didn't think God did stuff like that. But if you'll stick to the end, please stick to the end, you'll find that the same grace that brings us Jesus is in this story today, okay? So we just read Genesis 11 about God spreading out the nations. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And this changes, this will change your worldview. This will see, change how you see everything. Two verses in Deuteronomy 32. Look at this, all right? When the Most High God gave to the nations their inheritance, 
when he divided mankind, well, when did that happen? Genesis 11, okay? He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, divine counsel. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And this is gonna be, this is gonna be brand new for a lot of you. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I have a degree in Bible and I wasn't taught this until I dug into the scriptures over the last year and said, this is, this is actually what's going on here. But kind of the lights went on for me, all right? But it will explain so much. Again, let's, let's watch the trail again. God has been rejected in Eden when Adam and Eve trusted the serpent over God and God's response was, I got it. I'll send a Messiah. I can fix this. All right, God has been rejected on Mount Hermon when the sons of God led people into evil and corruption. And God's response is, I got this. I'll punish the false gods, right? I'll wash the earth with the flood. I'll start again through Noah and his family. And I'll send my spirit and he'll change people's hearts and minds. I've got this. Now at Babel, God has been rejected once again. And this time God looks at people and goes, time out. Um, That's enough. You wanna reject me? You wanna live your lives apart from me? Fine, I already promised not to destroy the earth again by flood. Rainbow, remember that? But from now on, life is gonna be very different. And according to Deuteronomy 32 that we just read, God gives the nations their inheritance. Literally, it translates this. God disinherits the nations. And you wanna go one more? It could be translated this way. God divorces himself from people. And not only that, he assigns the nations to the lesser sons of God for them to rule over the nation. You take care of them. And according to Deuteronomy 4, we don't have time to get to that, assigns or allots the lesser sons of God. You take care of those nations, which we find out very soon, they totally fail at it. You know what this is all called? The wrath of God. God's judgment on the ongoing rejection of him by us. Eventually, God says enough. Now, if the idea of of God distancing himself from or disinheriting people or turning people over to go and pursue whatever they want, whatever sin they want, right, to pursue that, if that's kind of shocking to you, you find it all through the Bible. We just don't read those parts. We find the same idea in the the New Testament in the book of Romans. If you have your Bible or or your app, go to Romans chapter one. We're gonna read a whole bunch of verses. There's some phrases I wanna concentrate on in here. And I was gonna warn you right up front there's about 20 sermons in what we're gonna read and there's gonna be some trigger phrases in there and you're gonna go, hey, I don't like that. Okay, just take a breath. We're not preaching on that today. Okay, there's some phrases that are underlined. That's what I want you to pay attention to and if the rest of it bothers you, pray about it and keep on praying about it. Okay, here we go. So Romans chapter one, here it goes, says this, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Underline, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. I'll leave that up there real quick because we could change all these they, them pronouns to us. And it means a little something like, for what can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us. What do you mean? Let's keep going. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And you all agree with that. We live in the most beautiful state in the country. You cannot look at those mountains and go, what are the chances? You can't just look at the stars and go, somebody rolled the dice and that's what happened, all right? You can't see a baby being formed in a womb and going like, what are the odds? Like, you know there's something behind that. 
right, this is what it's talking about. You, just, you can't put your finger on it, you can't name him, right? But you sense that there's more going on. To, to, to this level, look at this last one. So we are without excuse. So whatever can be known about, I don't care what religion you are, where you live on the face of the earth. God says, I have revealed enough to every person on the planet to the degree that I can hold them accountable. I don't fully understand that, but I'm not God. Thank God, all right? So let's keep on going though. For although we knew God, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And, exchange, and I just want you to know that the rest of this pretty much describes America in 2023. Just, just lean into this, okay? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We were gonna worship God, but now we're gonna worship, I don't know, rock stars and, and, and athletes and uh, beautiful people and rich people and social influencers. And these, these are our gods now. We don't worship God, we worship people. We worship nature. We worship trees, right? Therefore, and here it is, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Just turn them over to that, to this dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, here it is in, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, turned them over to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with, here we go, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree about those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Welcome to Colorado. Right, it's just, it's on the news. It's on, it's every, on every, every movie, it's every TV, it's in, our, it's in your face. Anything but God, we'll, we'll worship it. And, if, and, and we'll, if you'll do it too, we'll applaud you. So see, what we see here is Paul writing in the New Testament, thousands of years after what Moses wrote, Paul's referring back to a similar time when God did the same thing back at Babel. He turned people over to do what they were asking to do, which means if God did it in the Old Testament and God did it in the New Testament, it means this, God still does the same thing today because God doesn't change. This is gonna bother some of you. That's why this, it's been nice knowing you, but a day comes, a day comes, although... You know the truth of what God said is true. And can we just be honest for a second? Every of the, your biggest regrets, your biggest, ah, uh, wish I could get that back, your biggest sins, whatever, as you were leaning into it, in the back of your mind, there was something going off going, run, don't do this, don't, 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 go home, go, don't, don't pick up the phone, don't go to that website, don't go there, don't go to that bar, don't, don't do that, right? Am I right? There's something in the back of my mind going, I know the truth. And it goes like, I know what God's saying is true, and then I continually reject God. And here's what we do according to Romans 1. We just come up with our own version of truth. I think Oprah is the first one that keyed uh, my truth. Bless her heart, right, right? We come up with our own version of truth according to the small g God that we've invented in our mind. Here's a God that you follow. He gets me, she gets me. 
She understands me and she just wants me to be happy. And she made me, he made me like this. A day comes when the real God says, go for it. Go for it. Use your free will and go do your thing. But please know this, it will end in your destruction. But maybe if things get bad enough, painful enough, if you lose enough, maybe if you live through it, you'll come back and you'll choose me with your free will. Jesus taught the same thing. In Matthew chapter 18, read that late later today, Paul does it in his instructions to the church. Back in the summer, I was gonna come back from some summer break and I was gonna teach through the book of 1 Corinthians, but I come to all these phrases in there, like the one I'm gonna look at here in a minute, and go, how do I teach that? No, I don't even know what it means. I'm sure Flatterance doesn't know what it means, all right? Unless we go back and we spend four months unpacking the first 11 chapters of the Bible, okay? But so, so here's what's happening, and then I'll show you this verse. It's really gonna bother some of us, right? Here's what's happening. Paul, who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, he, after he became a Christian, he, he went around the Middle East starting churches. One of those churches he helped start was in a town called Corinth. So he started it, and then he moved on, but some word gets to him, and he writes a couple letters back to them. The word comes to him that, that there's some people who are part of the church in Corinth who are involved in all kinds of sexual immorality, the Bible says that even the pagans heard about what they were doing and go, we don't even do that. Can you imagine that? It's like, hey, we hear what the Christians are doing. Like, that's gross. We don't even do that. For example, this is in your first Corinthians. It's in your Bible. Like, like there's this one guy who's having sex with his father's wife. I'm hoping it's his stepmom. There's, that's a low bar there, right? But, but, but Paul says, hey, I heard it. If he doesn't change his mind and quit, kick him out. Look at this. You are, you are to deliver this man who's sleeping with his stepmom. You're to deliver this man to Satan. That means put him out of here and out of sacred space and out there in the desert on his own, right? You deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. In other words, hey, hey, Christian, he can't stay here in this church and continue to pursue this sinful lifestyle. And here's what most of us are saying right now. Well, what about Grace. What, what, what about grace? I mean, I mean, growth takes time. We preach that. Right. What about grace? Listen, I'll tell you this. Right? Grace is ready and waiting on the guy should he ever change his mind and repent and come back. Grace will cover it all. But I, you gotta hear this. You gotta hear this, all right? Grace is not permission to go on sinning. You hear me? What, what, what do you mean? Well, how about this? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Because I mean, we're forgiven, right? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? And that's Paul going, don't you know? <laughs> that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. When we became followers of Jesus, when we gave our life and put our faith in Jesus, we have to leave some stuff behind. And I'm not saying that Christians won't make mistakes. We will. No one is perfect other than God himself. But please hear this. God will not be mocked. Right? God will not be mocked. And I believe this is one of the reasons why the church, at least in America, has lost all of its power. I believe in Jesus, but nothing changes. Right? And there's no power in that. See, there will never be. There will never be a conversation between you and God when you stand in front of him and you go, okay, God, I'm sorry. Listen, I know I lived my life apart from you and I rejected you and lived my life in total disobedience. And then you reach in your wallet and you throw a trump card on the table, but I got the grace card. I read the Bible and you have to forgive me. And God's gonna look back at you and go like, dang it. Oh, you got me. Come to heaven. You're right, right? No, no, there's no loophole. Right? So let's talk about grace a little bit, right? Let's go back to Genesis 11 and Deuteronomy 32, because when God disinherits 
and, and divorces himself from the nations, it was never intended to be a permanent thing. You hear that? When God turns you over to yourself, it's always so that you'll come back. It's not like I'm done with you. Go to hell, die. I don't care about you anymore. That's never coming out of God, right? God has a plan, right? Look at Deuteronomy 32 again, right? So God divides the nations, gives them their inheritance. He fixes the border according to the sons of God. Now look at the last verse. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And Jacob, if you know his story, in Genesis, gets his name changed to what? Israel. Jacob is Israel, right? Jacob is, 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 is Israel. So that's, John, we got a problem? There. But the Lord's portion is, 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 is Israel. That's, that's his heritage, okay? Back in Genesis, right after the Tower, the tower of Babel, Okay, Genesis 11. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man named Abram. He disinherits the nations, chapter 12. Abram, Abraham. He makes him a promise that out of him, he will create a new nation. And from that nation, one of those descendants will gather the nations back to God. There are three things that the Messiah has to do when he shows up. The first one goes, and this is what the readers of the Bible, when it was written, and the authors believed. They knew that the Messiah would have to fix death and separation from God. Jesus does that. He would have to change hearts and minds. Holy Spirit does that. And third, he would need to regather the nations and bring them back into God's family from every tongue, tribe, and nation. If you read the book of Revelation, you see every tongue, tribe, and nation about 57 times because the Messiah brings us all back together, right? So in... He divides the nations, he turns them over to lesser gods, and in the same breath, God chooses Abraham to launch a people, the Jewish people of Israel. And he would be their God, and they would be his people. And from that people, Jesus the Messiah would be born and provide all of us a way back to God. And that's what, starting in Genesis chapter 12, that's the rest of the Bible. Because starting in Genesis 12 and going all through the Old Testament, right into the New Testament, and I would add this, is still going on today, the stage is set. Genesis chapter 12, see if this describes our world, okay? It will be all the nations of the world against Israel and all the small g gods of the spiritual world against Yahweh, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. We just see all through scripture until we get to the book of Revelation, which also tells us that a day is coming when all the nations of the world, all the nations of the world will unite to see Israel wiped off the face of the earth. And if you've been watching the news for the last six weeks, the deep hatred across the world from all the nations and their hatred for Israel, it comes from Genesis chapter 12. But also hear this, likewise, eventually, the world, so Christians, you say, well, that's not my problem. I, you know, that's, that's Old Testament, sorry. Listen, eventually the world will unite under a leader known as the Antichrist who will also attempt to wipe Christians off the face of the earth. And the only thing that stops Israel from being destroyed and Christians from being destroyed is Jesus comes back in Revelation 19 and together with us, we defeat the enemy, we crush Satan under our feet. Psalm 82 shows God judging all the rebellious sons of, of God that have led the nations astray. And, and, and like, like lie to his people and they're destroyed. But here's a free tip. This is what's gonna get me criticism, all right? This is not political, but it's gonna sound so political. And some of you are going, all right, I love it when he does this. And some of you are going, I hate it when he does this, all right? Um, but here it is. And you don't have to believe this. This is me. This is me, okay? This is where I stand. As a follower of Jesus Christ, don't wake up on the wrong side of history by abandoning Israel. 
While Christians are the new children of Abraham and God's new family, God is not done with the Jewish people, so we better not be done with them either. Now you can clap for that if you want. Come on. So now, if you can, set that aside. <laughs> Somebody going, no, I'm not coming back. All right, fine. All right. What does Jesus want? What's he looking for? What's he still looking for from the Jews in Genesis chapter 12? What's he looking for from us, his new family, Christians, the church, all right, today? Like, what is required of us? And the answer is Old Testament, New Testament, and Colorado, right? It's the same as it always been. This is what Jesus wants. Believing loyalty. You call it faith. I think believing loyalty has a little more oomph to it, right? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, by believing, by trusting in Jesus and what he did for us, not by what we do, not by our own works, but not by our own merit. We don't earn our way into God's favor, but please hear me. Faith is given legitimacy by how we live our lives in obedience to what Jesus commands us to do. How do you know you believe? Watch my life. Our obedience to God is proof that we truly believe, which means that our ongoing disobedience is proof that we really don't trust Jesus. Faith has, Christians, listen, faith has to become more than just words or some emotional conversation because you feel bad about your life. God, I'm really sorry about the affair and about the addiction and about this and about that. And I, wonder, I don't want to feel as guilty. Right? Listen, it, that's all important, but faith has to lead to loyalty and allegiance and obedience to Jesus and then a turning away from anything contrary to Jesus. So let me say this, and then I got three questions, and we'll get out of here. And I got to decorate the rest of the day. Okay, so, all right? I'm gonna say, all right? Grace is provided and available to any of us, anybody on the, in the world who puts their faith in Jesus, what he did for us. No matter what you've done, this may be why God brought you here today. No matter what you've done, how low it was, how shameful it was, how, how dirty or how many times you did it, if you will repent of that, turn, change your mind, say, I, I, wanna, I wanna turn to Jesus, ask his death and resurrection to pay for your sin, grace is waiting for you right now. But please hear this, grace is not some fire insurance policy from hell that says, say the magic phrase, get baptized in some water, and then continue to live your life any way you want because you got hell insurance. That's not the gospel. And please hear this, don't come up to me after church or write me an email. So do you think so-and-so, they claim to be a Christian, but they did that or not. Do you think they're saved or not saved? And I won't answer that. That is above my pay grade, all right? Here's all I know. God will not be mocked. And we just read in Romans that everyone, every one of us knows the truth. So we are without an excuse of, I didn't know, I didn't understand, I couldn't help it. Yes, you can. Yes, I can. We can because God guarantees it by making the power of the Holy Spirit available to us to supernaturally enable us to follow him no matter what we face in this life. He promises his grace is sufficient for every temptation and weakness we have. If we continue to go on sinning, it's not God's fault. It's not some lack of, uh, of, of something he's holding back from us. I just don't wanna follow him. I have the power of the universe that resurrected Christ from the dead available to me. No thanks. I just want to, I just want to stay in my, in my mess. Now, having said that, I got, I got some questions. According to the three rebellion, rebellion number one. This, this, this may be what this whole series has been about leading up to today. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. This is between you and God and you and your, yourself, right? Are you having some conversations right now with the wrong person about the wrong thing? You, you see it right now, you're saying, you're thinking about her, you think about him, you think about it, right? You're rehearsing what you would do if you could actually get with that, whatever that is. And if it keeps going the way it's going, it will lead to a really bad decision, right? Wrong choice, wrong bed, wrong choice, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're already in the middle of that. Here's what I want you to hear, right? Grace is available to you right now and forgiveness, but you have to repent. You have to turn from that and come back to Jesus because I can't be a part of my life anymore. It's not, I, I want both. You can't have both. 
Rebellion number two, are you pursuing a life that's full of violence and sexual immorality and alcohol and drug addiction? Do you have areas in your life that have become idols? You say, well, I don't worship them. Let's be honest, all right? You have a lot of shameful secrets that you hope never get discovered by your spouse or your parents or by your kids. And in secret, you give part, part, this part of your life far more attention and money than you do to God or anything in, that he might wanna do in your life in this world. That gets first priority. It's an idol. So I'm gonna tell you this, grace is available. Forgiveness is available. Something's gotta change. Rebellion number three, are you trying to build your own empire? Not because God told you to. You know, I, if one more person says, the Lord led me to, I don't believe that. You just wanna do it. And you put the Lord led me on there and now, now you go do what you want. See, not because God's telling you to do it. You're trying to build your own tower and make your own name great. You've, you, you've already made your life plan. I got a business plan. I got a sex plan. I got a financial plan. And you have demanded that God meet you on your terms and get on board and bless your plans. But with or without him, you're gonna build your life your way. You're going to be your own God. I just want to tell you, there's grace available and forgiveness available, but something's got to change. It's called repentance. And listen, God is probably not, I mean, he could. Sometimes I wish he would, and sometimes I'm really glad he doesn't, but God's probably not going to intervene in your life and make you stop doing what you're doing or cause whatever you're doing that's sinful to fail. This is not how he, how, how, he, how he does it, right? But a day may come when he looks at you and he says, go for it, do it. Run your own life because he knows that the only way that anything is gonna change in your life is when you run your life into the ground and you lose everything. Which sound, this is gonna sound so weird, but turning you over to you until you hit rock bar, bottom may be the most loving thing he could ever do for you. And a lot of us parents know what that feels like. You can't live in our house anymore. Not because we don't love you. You have to go but it's a prodigal son story, but I'll be waiting here. And anytime you want to repent, come back. So go, but please hear this. When you hit rock bottom and it's a matter of time and you're looking up from the bottom of that pit, call on the name of the Lord and he'll jump in the pit with you and he'll save you. Anybody ever have Jesus jump in their pit with them? I have. And I didn't get a lecture, I didn't get beat up, I didn't get shamed, because I'm right here. And we started walking. But I got a better idea, right, right? Let's don't hit rock bottom, amen? I mean, let's don't, let's don't end up in another pit. I'm so tired of pit. Call in the name of the Lord and be saved today, not just from death and separation from God, that's done, right? But a life of shame and misery and loss and regret. I'm so done of living in pits. Okay. I don't know why I get emotional right here. This is the end of this four-month study. And uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. My favorite thing I've taught, I've been doing this for 39 years. And I was gonna say that my favorite thing I've taught over the last four months, but I think that my favorite thing I've taught over the last 39 years is when I taught that week on the appearances of Jesus all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, embodied, he looked like a man in the Old Testament. And then incarnate, being taken on flesh and actually becoming a man in the New Testament, which we're going to you know, celebrate all of December. And the reason it's my favorite is because every time I see Jesus showing up in Genesis all the way to Revelation in the Bible, he's doing the same thing he always does. He's seeking and saving people like you and me who use their free will to reject God and tell him to get out of our life. You find Jesus reaching out to them and calling them back. Come back. 
Come back to a God who still loves you, a Father that still loves you, and he does that today. And I believe this, no matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus is doing the same thing to you today. And that may be the reason, this is gonna sound so weird, that may be the reason Jesus rearranged the universe for you to sit under this teaching today. Life without Jesus, that is your choice. Go for it. But it will lead to death and separation from God. But life with Jesus is also your choice. And Jesus promised it will lead to an abundant life, grace, forgiveness, peace, and joy. I want that. But you have the free will and you have to choose. The choice is yours. I'm gonna leave you with this. Choose Jesus and live. Amen? Let's stand up, all our campuses. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna sing this beautiful song together. God, um, there's some of us listening right now. We go, like, I'm in a pit, or I'm, I'm about to jump in a pit, or if people find out about what I've done, I'm, I'm gonna end up in a pit, and, and that just scares us to death. And, and so we just assume that you're really mad and disappointed in us too, and who would blame you? But you've been so patient and so good. We're gonna sing about the goodness of God. He just keeps on chasing us and coming after us. And I just look at my own life, God, and there's, there's so many times in my life that I've looked up at heaven and I've stomped my foot and told you you are a bad God. You need to do your job better. And if you just do what I tell you to do, my life would be better. And thank you that you didn't answer that prayer. You were just so patient and kind and good and said, all right, get it out. I'm not going anywhere. And that may be where some of us are today. We're desperate, we're afraid, we're carrying a lot. Seems like everything is coming at us and we feel really lonely right now. So God, would you just get up, get up beside us right now and, and just whisper whether things are great or whether we're at the bottom of the pit. I'm right here, I'm not going anywhere. My name is Jesus and I love you. And that's why we worship you. I love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.